Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And Inez is Kat. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to shift her away. Go go away, Minerva. (laughs) And tonight, we're here to talk about the fifth episode of TNT's Snowpiercer. This one is called Keep Hope Alive. What did you think about this one, guys? I have like almost three pages of notes here, and I usually try to keep pretty concise notes. Did you guys find this one chock full of stuff? Yeah, it was, uh, we've got all kinds of like different angles and things that are popping up. I had to kind of go back and watch it a few times just to kind of see what I missed because it did seem like it was busier than normal. Yeah, I was pausing all the time <laughs> to, to finish my my notes, try to sum up what was happening because there was just a lot of stuff happened, a lot of twists on characters and events that were foreshadowed and then twisted on us. Yeah, there was a lot. It was very meaty. I know there's some episodes that are very insights to the character, but not a lot of plot. But this one felt like both. Like mm-hmm. we got some insight um, during these plot points to the characters that I didn't necessarily expect, but it was very much welcome and Ooh, there's a lot to break down. I guess we should get started. <laughs> when I was trying to decide how to format this podcast, I, I, I first looked at it like, well, maybe we can approach different storylines, but then they all twisted on to each other. So I decided to take the approach of going kind of character by character, and hopefully there'll be some interesting questions <laughs> that can that we can talk about with regard to each character and the stuff they went through in this episode. Because as you just mentioned, Kat, there was character stuff that happened. Even though there was plot-heavy stuff happened, there was also character development, and not all of it is great. Mm-hmm. S- starting with um, Andre Layton, mm-hmm. he is sort of like Ruth, in this episode, being pulled into the shittier side of of leadership that I think we can assume Melanie went through just as soon as she decided to hijack the train. It's just now he's getting exposed to the the realities of running the train that he might have taken for granted when he was just deciding to overthrow the train in terms of needing to employ spies and the emotional baggage that I hope he's feeling. (laughs) (laughs) with doing that as well as using assassins which is hopefully new for him as well do you guys see that this is weighing on on andre or or is he taking this in stride or what, what are you seeing with him in terms of like the weight of becoming the leader well i think there's also another factor that i think it would be different if he didn't have the kid coming because if the kid wasn't coming it feels like he would take more into his own hands i feel i feel like he his risk like having pike do what he did i feel like in the past he would have probably done it i don't know and i know he was doing it sort of like you know it wouldn't be tied to him is what i i got from him maybe he wouldn't have have uh, he would have still had pike do that even if he didn't have the kid coming but i feel like he's being a little bit more calculated especially with zara in his ear you know <laughs> like yeah she's really influencing him because she has his baby in her belly so i think that's also a factor here that i didn't think would be as big of a factor for me so that's something that i was thinking about during this time more so than like the other shitty leadership things that he has to do like you know, the spies and all that. I think it's more so like 
he is sort of choosing Zara and the baby more. I don't know if you saw, if you guys saw that too, but it feels like that's also weighing into these like factors in, in a way. I feel like he had a very genuine desire to like learn how to do this right because he was kind of caught off guard with what do I, I've got the train, now what? And everybody's looking at him for now what? And, you know, he really hasn't like been able to kind of figure it out except on a whim. I felt like it was a little bit too easy for him to have kind of gone along with the ride that uh, he did with Zara. So that kind of bothered me a little bit. I felt, I, I felt like, I felt like that should have been a heavier <laughs> kind of thing to contemplate before just kind of executing out. And maybe it is because he realizes that he has to make a future appropriate for the next generation of survivors um, that are going to populate the earth. But I don't know. I was really disappointed in Andre in this episode. I didn't feel like it was as remorseful or difficult. And it makes me annoyed that he didn't have the right type of people counting him you know he's got zara who fucking tried to kill josie the moment she found out that she was alive after all and i knew it i knew that that was going to come back to me (laughs) now i know why they just want me to see how like shitty of a person that we all thought that she was (laughs) (laughs) and that's his counselor it's kind of bizarre about like zara ends up being like the only person who is actually available around him to have this conversation so you know, there, there wasn't a lot of intention about keeping good counsel around because maybe that's just not something that people realize that is helpful. And so, yeah, now he has snaky Zara um, <laughs> twisting things up in our perspective here. I, I noticed that also that to an extent, I'm not sure if, if Zara's in charge of the train or not, you know, with being both in Ruth's ear, helping massage the way for Ruth to change her perspective on the need to lie to the train, something that she, a few seconds ago, didn't want to forgive Melanie for doing, as well as advising Andre that going and killing Terrence is the best thing <laughs> to do. She's holding a lot of sway in terms of who's in charge of the train. I think I agree with that assessment, though, that Andre is finding it a little too easy to have other people do his dirty work. It reminds me, and this is going to sound maybe a little off base, but hopefully it, it holds, the idea of creating alliances with people that you might not normally do that with, such as when... For instance, our government made friends with Noriega or bin Laden during different periods of history in order to smooth things over with a mutual aggressor. But then they needed to go and deal with that person later because things <laughs> things went south. You could see where Pike, in the absence of a, of a, of a crime lord, might all of a sudden decide to be that crime lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then also, um, I think it, it kind of deepened the, or kind of showed um, how badass Melanie is, too, with this, because, you know, even Roche does that like comment. It, it's just like uh, thrown in like she kept the train a lot, like going for seven years. And like, you know, before in the first season, it was like, oh, you know, it's easy. And then now seeing it through Andre's struggle of like having to do, make all these decisions and like the things he's like putting on other people too, it wasn't easy for her. And like, it makes sense. Like all the things that we saw in the first season of who we thought she was, it's like, oh, totally makes sense. And she's still like getting through it. But Andre doesn't see, I don't know if she he's going through the same trajectory as her since she didn't have Wilford 
also coming up on the reel. <laughs> there is that, isn't there? <laughs> so he has a lot more. So like, I'm also going to give him a little bit of leeway because of that and the baby, but still like, I don't know that Pike decision for me was, it was, it was one of like the leadership ones where he had to do it, I guess. But also like he, doesn't he know that's a wild card? Like, ugh, like what it's going to do to him? Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just saw like, hey, you're in, you were in the tail. You did shitty shit before. Go do this for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Pike has shown like consistent loyalty to the tail. And I feel like this was totally unfair for Andre to have put on him, especially since he just got his head smashed with a bat. Like there really is nobody else who is sits behind Andre in, you know, amongst the people that helped take over the train. Nobody else he can lean on and he has to capitalize Pike's trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, you know, and then like, by the way, like, I think that you need to go ahead and like assassinate this person. Like that was really unfair for him to do it. He's like barely even like physically, you know, like the, he fucking, that was intense watching, um, Andre like staple his head shut. Like that was a serious wound. And, um, you know, and, and I think the science will back me up on this, but sometimes when people get like head trauma, their personalities change too. And then you add the immense amount of stress that Andre just forced upon Pike. Yeah. I'm very curious to see now where Pike's story takes us. I think I thought early on in the season from lingering from season one to now that Pike could totally be an asset. And I think this might be a changing point in the story. And now he's, he might be a liability now. I think you're right, Kat, you know, in the absence of somebody else being there, he might be the one to take over something at this point, but I don't know. I thought it was fucked up of Andre to do. I was very disappointed and it just made me hate Zara more. (laughs) (laughs) When he, when it was revealed that he was talking to Pike about, doing the deed i also felt like there wasn't anyone else i mean really he's your guy for this it does make sense but i mean it also feels like it's for the tv show but the circle's very small right now and who they're trusting like you know when they're in the in in the, in the head of the train making those decisions and and like there's a very small group like what if the person like if, if he knows what pike's capable of and we didn't see like the seven years they did in the in the tail section so i feel like he knows he can go he can get it done and maybe getting some other person might botch it and then it would come back to andre so i feel like he just knew what pike could do and he was like you're the one that can do it and i trust you because you are loyal to me and all that kind of stuff so i feel like it does make sense in that way i think this is going to backfire on him i mean he didn't talk to his council of the people that are the heads of decision making for the entire train i don't recall ruth being involved in a conversation about assassinating terrence i don't recall any of the engineers really knowing about it and that was something that was like an agreed upon thing amongst them that they were going to have this decision making and then like somehow zara is able to influence him to do this in secret and you're right kat maybe because of that pike seemed like a good one but it still makes him like i think it just exposes that he's definitely a lot more immature of a leader than I think that I was hoping to give him credit for. I, I, you know, I had a lot of faith in him and I definitely do not now. I want Melanie back. Yeah. And it's funny because Melanie, I think learned that lesson having to hide the secret for so long by herself. And then when the, when the transition happened, she emphasized to Andre, 
you know, include Ruth and don't basically kind of make the bad decisions that I did. And then he seems to be doing all of those things because he thinks he knows what's best, but he's going against what he's said. So yeah, I don't know. It might backfire. I, I think you're right. So what do you think about Ruth and the fact that he is still excluding her? It's very noticeable whenever he does. And she's starting to notice this idea that hospitality can have their own machinations or whatever whatever she said. But she still comes through. She still decides to go forward with the lie that they all agree on and decides to stay at the very end when she's made the offer by Mr. Wilford to come across. Mm-hmm. What is there to that? Like, what, what, what did you guys think with Ruth and her... Um, remember we talked about her um, loyalty meter and that it's to the to the train now that's uh, that's very much confirmed at this point she had the offer and she didn't even flinch i thought she'd at least flinch about going across but she gave it about two seconds and said no i'm gonna stay here uh what do you guys think about ruth and what she's going through right now she was the one that was talking about at the beginning of seeing so much insight to her character and i thought we already had a lot of insight to her character but this one revealed how loyal she is like i think i don't know what the meter is again but i think it's like all the way to the train. Yeah, um, yeah. It's weird because I, I guess now that she's had time to, I don't, I wouldn't say get over what Melanie did, but I think she's starting, maybe seeing Andre's kind of journey of the leadership that she didn't see with Melanie because she thought Wilford was in charge. Like, you know, the actual like in and outs of like, fuck, like that's what she had to do, you know, to keep the train going for seven years and seeing how rocky it is with Andre. Maybe she's starting to understand why Melanie did what she did. Yeah. So I feel like that's what I, I was seeing in this one. Like you, you saw like, Wilfred is her idol, but then she's seen like, oh, maybe Melanie is right about like, he's not necessarily the best, you know, like, it's like, don't be your heroes sort of thing. And she's starting to realize like, the idea is better than the actual person. And she didn't like seeing, I think, Miss Audrey in that way. Like it, it, like her eyes were like water. Like, you know, it was like, I don't know if it was out of fear or like, she was like, oh shit, I don't know. At the end there, yeah. Like, I think she made a point to kind of remind us in the audience, like she's not naive, never was. Um, And so, yeah, I think that that's, just a hint of letting us know, like she is closely paying attention to stuff. I like the subtle changes in her attitude about things. For instance, how she like was sponsoring the school, you know, creating these imagery and support of the message about Melanie and how Melanie is like the savior of the train or the savior earth kind of thing. And so it's just a very 180 twist from the previous season of Wilford <laughs> is the almighty God, but Probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that Melanie was the only one capable and with enough bravery to go out and face the elements for them, knowing she's not going to return. And I think that sacrifice is is probably one of those big pivotal moments, you know, that really sweet moment that we saw in the episode where they, you know, they tell each other that they love each other, you know, and they'll, they'll like take care, you know, she'll take care of her daughter. So I like the twist that they've kind of done to kind of show Ruth's maturity in the realistic situation um, that we find ourselves here. And there was like a little bit 
of snickering that I gave myself when Ruth was the one to have to initiate and drive faking that, you know, Melanie's progress to the rest of the train, considering how upset and how much it torn into their relationship when she found out Melanie doing the same. So I I really liked seeing Ruth's character development in this episode. Yeah, you could kind of see her gears turning when she had to go through the same ironic twist there, right, of of of. What Melanie was doing with Wilford in the first season in terms of creating hope in the passengers by telling them that their leader was alive and well and giving them messages, she had to do the exact same thing with faking the message about the ping from Melanie. I think this is uh, the strongest tie to the title this week, Keep Hope Alive, in terms of they don't even know if Melanie is alive. But the Schrodinger's cat approach of you don't know if she's alive or dead until you look in the box. Well, (laughs) (laughs) this ping keeps her alive in, in their minds. And that's that's good enough for now. Let's flip back to the source of all this. Mr. Wilford and everything he was going through. Was it surprising that he is the host of uh, a book club on Big Alice? (laughs) A book club from hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was surprised. I was surprised, but I guess I'm not surprised considering the sociopath um, and high levels of narcissism that he is. Of course, he would be in charge of a book club and in charge of navigating the conversation of how the messages should be interpreted. It just feels like nobody even really has a choice to be in the book club. If he says you're going to be in the book club, you know, right. they were all freaking out about finishing so i thought that was really funny but like of course to me i just keep saying of course he would do you remember that ben also was in charge of the book club in lost uh oh yes yes the very first uh scene of the others Mm -hmm. uh or or more like of new otherton if you will of (laughs) of juliet how he was absent but they but they implied that he always picked the book or or something to that effect so yeah you got the idea that ben was probably in charge of the book club this book uh rebecca have either of you read rebecca or seen any of the adaptations the movies negative for me yes i read the book in high school so i don't really remember you know details or anything but i saw the the newish movie from netflix um which i don't know if that was like the best one but yeah so i'm familiar with it The Wikipedia entry (laughs) that I used to get the summary of the idea goes like this. And tell me if this sounds familiar. Rebecca is a 1938 gothic novel by English author Dame Daphne du Maurier. It concerns an unnamed young woman who impetuously marries a wealthy widower only to discover that he and his household are haunted by the memory of his late first wife, the title character. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Okay. So if I was going to try to match that up with what we're seeing in Snowpiercer, I would say that this aligns maybe with Alex as the person who gets involved with the wealthy widower, which would be, in my estimation, Mr. Wilford, only to find that the household, i.e. the train, is haunted by the late first wife, i.e. Miss Audrey. 
I'm only making this jump because of her behavior this episode in terms of storming off and wondering if Mr. Wilford is trying to, in her words, replace her. What do you guys think? Does that tie together in a way that, that makes sense to you? Or or did you maybe see things another way? Yeah, well, I, I'm i trying to... because Okay, so the, the other part of the book um, is there's the... I don't know what she is, but like the head of the household who stays, who knew Rebecca, and she was basically obsessed with Rebecca. I forget what the name is of the character in in that, but she is the one that torments the new wife, you know, that that moves in with with the the husband. And so I wonder if Wilfred is like the tormentor in this case because it's like reminding. Um, and and then it's like spoiler, but in the book, it's like the wife later finds out, like she thought that the the husband was still in love with Rebecca, and she's never going to live up to that. Experience expectation right but it actually is like rebecca was a horrible person and like you know didn't really really like love him or he didn't you know it was sort of like that sort of thing and he actually really loved the new wife and it was just like those tormentors like the head of household was the one like kind of wanting her to get out because she had been like you know loved her from like you know she had I guess grew up with her or I don't know, whatever. Um, so I wonder from that, who's the tormentor, right? And I don't know, does that make any sense? Like does is yeah. Alex, so who's the is Wolford the tormentor then in this case? And like um who 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 is who? I don't know, who is whom? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to watch that movie. I'm because I'm not gonna read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the gist of it. So like I don't know who fits into what I'm trying to think right now because I yeah about in that context but i just know there's a tormentor telling her thinking like you're never going to live up to this so maybe what but why would wilford want alex to think that about miss audrey you know like that's weird yeah the whole replace me idea like what did she mean by that because that gets into creepy territory if you you know think about it too hard or not even that hard because miss audrey plays a pretty specific role in in Mr. Wilford's life. Although, you know, there was where Mr. Wilford emphasizes and um, we didn't see it in this one, but like, like, Oh, Miss Audrey is like, what's his line that she, he says like the most inquisitive or something like that. Like intuitive, intuitive person I've met. And like, I guess up to this point before they got on Snowpiercer and he thought Miss Audrey was probably like, not like he was never going to be reunited with her. Alex was his go-to person. And now it's not like, I think in a creepy way, but it's just like, Hey, you're not going to be my number one anymore. Now that I have Miss Audrey and who knows what her skills are besides the obvious ones. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Why would you need to make Alex? I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Yeah. Cause I, I, now I feel so superficial (laughs) because I, I was just like, I was taking everything in as like a demonstration of like how much control he like needs to have all the time that he forces people to be in a book club and be ready and read the books. Yeah. I think Rebecca was the one that was the control person, you know? So I don't know if that helps either too in the book. I'm positive that there's a way to line up the book and the events and characters of Snowpiercer, because that's how TV normally works. If they bring up a book, there's a reason for it. <laughs> it's not just like a random selection. But well, I, I'm a very simple mind, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the end, also that um, housekeeper or whatever burns down the house, like that big mansion that they're in. So who knows who's going to burn down the house? <laughs> Ooh, for, foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. So maybe the widower isn't even an important character to a line in terms of Snowpiercer characters. Maybe the, like you said, the Tormentor is 
Mr. Reminds Wilford, me of the glory of, you know, Rebecca. So who's, who is it? <laughs> when he's shown willingness to abandon Snowpiercer in the past, or at least scare them into thinking he was going to. Very interesting. Or who, or would one of the women involved be so scorned that they would potentially burn down the train if, you know, the setting corresponds to the train? Interesting idea. Yeah, or, or it could be metaphorically burned down the house, you know? Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Which would be the people inside, basically. What if Rebecca is Wolford? Because it is like, it's the legacy, you know what I mean? Like she's lived on through the people. um, And then we did see like the uprising in there. That could be like the analogy of like, uh, or whatever the comparison to the head of household, you know, those are his followers who are continuing that legacy of Wilford and that sort of thing of basically the Rebecca, you know, and doing Mm -hmm. bad in his name sort of thing. Wow. Those are all good connections. I wish I was a better partner for you (laughs) to to bounce these off of. Because, yeah, in English, they they did not cover things as modern as, or at least from England, as modern as as that um, when I was uh, in high school. And truth be told, when I was in high school, I barely read anything that was assigned to me. So even if it had been (laughs) on, on the syllabus, there's a good chance I would have skipped it. Bummer. But I think those are good connections that we should look out for in weeks to come from this selection of the book club. The discussion about the book club got into, like, uh, we were talking between Al and Amelia. Al is Alexandra. About love is, I, I, I summed it up as a, is love a good reason to act impulsively? And that seems to tie into what you were talking about of burning it all down. That seems like a pretty impulsive act. Do you think that that could be foreshadowing to this episode's um, attack? Maybe. My details are hazy, so someone can correct me, whoever's listening. But it, it, it was, in a way, burning down the house because it's it's like you won't be able to live here because this is like my Rebecca's you know, thing. Like She didn't want the wife to be there and live in those that house and that sort of thing. It's like, if I can't have what I, you know, like basically you can't have it either, you know? So that's why the house burns. So maybe that's something with the Snowpiercer train, you know, like I can't have it. You guys can't have it. <laughs> right. I mean, he took out the breachman that I think we've kind of described as the firefighter equivalent in this modern environment. And so if you take out the people that are like frontline helpers um, on any kind of like disaster, you take them out, then it looks like you're about to burn the house down. Exactly. Yeah. As much as I can tell breach, you know, means hole. (laughs) And I think they're there to fix holes and because they're fatal to the train. So that's what I got from killing them all was it was a great, um, what do you call it? Misdirection. The way they thought they made us think that the breachman's loyalty would make them allies of his and he could have used them he probably if if they if he would have asked they would have said okay we'll do stuff but he just spends them you know just as like well they're just like pawns in his chess game and he just lets them go but you're right that's what they would have done is is whatever he's about to do they would have been the people there to try to fix it and apparently now they're not there at this point, it did leave me with the questions, right? Like now, who are these Wilferites? I don't know who they are now because they kept hinting at us one way. And then 
how do you think Till is going to handle this? Like how severely wrong she was, especially after that police brutality session in the previous episode. Well, let's hit Till because she seems to be in a very vulnerable spot here. She shows up late for the, the staff meeting and she looks so out of it that her bosses say, why don't you take a day off? In an environment where I don't think anyone gets any days off, ever. (laughs) So then she also has the sparring with Logan, who has seemingly identified her as his way in to crack the the leadership of the train. Uh, We knew that Logan was probably going to be trouble early on just because he's a brand new character being (laughs) introduced. (laughs) (laughs) to the show and um that's kind of how that works what did you think of all that interaction there and specifically the stuff that he was saying about that you can't really have joy without experiencing or dishing out pain what did you think of all that stuff i felt uneasy about him well first of all i just want to talk about the sparring ring i think (laughs) that i did i was surprised to see that there was a sparring ring, and i did chuckle but i guess it makes sense that if you know trying to stay like focused and not bored when you're stuck on a life-saving humanity train why not have a sparring ring to knock out your frustration so i i I thought at that point okay this is like a therapy session he kind Kind of has been serving as like a therapy role in this, helping her process these negative emotions and feelings. But I felt like it was kind of getting a little dark from him. And that was unexpected for me. I have seen the, the sparring ring on other shows kind of like this. I don't, you both have said that you that you didn't watch Battlestar Galactica or you didn't watch very much of it. But there's a whole episode about about this boxing ring that they have as an outlet. But that's a military thing. So that's sort of like, well, you know, I can see that as a thing. But this is this is a, <laughs> a trained clergy, which is <laughs> sort of... A, he had a, the painting of the boxing boxers on the floor. Yeah. An unexpected source of sparring. It's like he, he keyed into what he thought she needed to hear with all that no joy without pain stuff but he did it in this way that you like you said Inez was much darker than I would have expected um, and the fact that he could zero in on that that was what she needed to hear right then to open her mind to the rest of what he was going to say was highly manipulative you know the idea of Andre not being the leader I think they're manipulating us they being the writers into assuming that he means Mr. Wilford is a better leader but is that necessarily the case? Yeah, it felt very, um, I know we talked about it in maybe the first episode of season two when we were discussing that one about being a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and this felt very culty, like the priest sort of thing and him coming in at the right time when she's the most vulnerable, which is kind of a um, a trait of the cult. You know, they get the most vulnerable um, and, and, and say those things. And, and it sounds good to the people who are feeling down and, and because they want hope, you know, and also I think that ties into the title too. They want hope, right? You want to see a way out, especially for Till. She has done things that she's not proud of just like also Ruth has, but Ruth is having more of an epiphany, like helping the train till doesn't know where she's going right now. She's kind of lost a little bit, like we've talked about and he's coming in thinking like I can get her on our side, whatever side it is, is it Wilford? But it just, to me felt very reminiscent of that cult. And if it is the Wilford cult, well, that makes sense. Right. Um, and it, it just doesn't seem genuine at all. Like I do not trust him. And since he is a new character, like you said, 
I'm going to go all in that he's not a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) Especially after seeing this episode and like you said, the manipulation and I don't know, very culty. Yeah, this this episode I, I had in my notes describing it as twisty. And I think that you both have mentioned that it just felt like there was lots of little twists here. So this is one of my notes was like, am I witnessing another twist? Because it did kind of feel like the tone changed from helpful to grooming. It's like once, you know, and I speak as somebody who um, has suffered from mental illness, so depression, anxiety, and OCD, um, PTSD. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have a lot of empathy for the state of where Till's mind is, and it is a very vulnerable place. And Logan, for the last few times that we've seen him, has given us very genuine vibes at that point. And this one, I feel compelled to feel like it's an intentional twist to kind of show us how relationships can change very subtly to where we don't really realize that we're being groomed into some negative, toxic kind of perspective very soon. Uh, you know, it could be a showcase in that, or it could be, you know, maybe it could, I don't want to say that the writers made a mistake and maybe made it a little bit too manipulative. I think this was intentional. I'm now very cautiously watching him. Then the question that, that all that begs is, did he make his point well enough to break her like would she turn on andre after what they've been through or do you think that you know it's she will struggle with it but eventually she's gonna say something's afoot here with logan andre uh, and i need <laughs> i need help uh or, or somewhere in between what do you guys think I don't know how strong her relationship to Andre is. I got a sense that she's got a bigger loyalty to humanity when she had this big pivotal development in her character. I don't necessarily felt like it was like a loyalty specifically to Andre. He was just the one most closely aligned with her purpose that she discovered at that point. I feel like in the vulnerable state that she's in, where you're asking a lot of questions and just wondering what's the point of feeling all of these feelings, I think that when you're in depression and you're in a very vulnerable state, the only thing you want is to get out of it. And you also kind of want to like fight against the things that put you in that state. So, you know, if he's starting to frame things as Andre's fault, I can see how you know, she'll still keep her purpose to humanity, but uh, not necessarily like have his back. I would hope that she would say something at this point, but I don't know. I feel like we're about to, she's going to find out about like Pike assassinating someone on Andre's behalf and she's going to probably be investigating it. She's just the head detective. And then what? I wonder if she's going to go through a similar thing that Ruth went through and like Ruth, you know, we weren't sure where her loyalty lied, but now we know where, you know, where it is. And with Tilbert now, like we should do a loyalty meet on her because it's like, Ooh, like if she finds out about certain things because she's in this state, will she go towards whatever this thing is that Logan has, or is she going to be like snap out of, um, or I'm not going to say snap out of, but maybe kind of be like, Oh, like, find grounding and like, Hey, like, no, I'm not going down this road. Like, you know, I fought for a reason and for the train and like go back on maybe like a road to recovery more so than, than snapping back is probably a better way. Um, I I can't tell right now where she's going with it. I think I'd put her at like 50, 50 given, (laughs) I think she needs something to pull her one direction or the other, even though she fought along Andre's side, 
there's enough bothering her about the way things are going that I think Logan's points sunk in, that she could be swayed to do something not in Andre's best interests with just a little bit more pushing from Logan or some other source. And like you said, the assassination and being left out of that loop might be it. Maybe that's not how she would have handled it. Maybe she would have just imprisoned Terrence for the rest of his life. Or as someone I saw on one of the Facebook groups mentioned, they haven't mentioned the drawers in a long time. Oh my God, that's such a good point. You know, she's already, she's expressing frustration and lack of sleep over trying to investigate who cut off somebody's finger. I can't imagine she's going to be thrilled when she has to talk about this intentional assassination on Andre. You know, like I'm stressing out killing my sanity over like somebody losing their fingers because that's horrible. And you're over here making like intentional decisions to kill somebody because you can't like figure out another negotiation tactic. I'd be pissed. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Like you put me in charge of solving crimes, but you didn't tell me you were going to be making crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be a tough spot. I sure hope she sticks with Andre, but I could see where that might not go our way this season. Yeah, I, I want a Josie Andre uh, reunion so that she can like give him the what for again, because he seems to <laughs> he seems to take her, you know, like her, you know, her checking him really well. Yeah. And I can't imagine that she would be happy at all that she like that he did this. Well, especially with all that Zara input that <laughs> she'd be even less thrilled about that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Fucking Zara. Yes. Even when she's doing something good, it's just like, oh, go away. (laughs) I was thinking about her like she reminds me a little bit of Lori from The Walking Dead. Yes, that's who it is. Like no matter what they do, like it's just so annoying and so like uh, too little made and like and then you kind of like want to like them, but you can't, which I think is good for a show too. Cause like, I don't want to like all the characters, you know, I think it's good to have the Zaras cause there are Zaras in the world, real world, you know, like you have to deal with them and they are there and it's like, Oh, you know, and maybe that's why like Zara represents a lot of just like those people that you're like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, but it's all, yeah. You're like, I know. And then at the end of the day, Zara is like down to her bare bones is purely a survivor and, and mm-hmm. everything she does is about surviving as long as she possibly can. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, it's this very conflicting yeah. that, that she's able to cross that line just to ensure her survivability. And now the baby, yeah. But it's so different because you see Josie's also a survivor and then she is just a completely different, like, you know, she would probably be the leader of the train if she, you know, we'll see how it goes, or at least the Taylor leader. So it's just completely different of how, like, they approached, I guess, surviving. <laughs> but I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, well, there's an amount of selling out <laughs> yeah. with one approach. Then there's sticking to your core values that, that, that was the other kind of survival. The truth be told, one of them shouldn't have survived <laughs> this long. But uh, thanks to the goo or whatever, uh, she's she's much better off this, this go around. What were, you, what were you going to say, Ines? I was just going to suggest if we can go into Josie and give okay. her some, some spotlight time. Man, that is a tough woman. Jesus she Christ. She is. Yeah. 
She is as hardcore as Melanie is. As we started hating Zara more in this episode, I think I started even loving Josie even more and like completely opposite trajectories for both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is so intentional, obviously, of the show, but like it just was so clear in this one. Like, oh my God, like Josie just keeps proving herself of being a badass and like you said, being like a Melanie. And then you have the other ones that are like, all that. I mean, staying awake through that kind of skin graft procedure holy crap oh my god okay so we all know what she did she she passed information back to the tail as best as she could you know she wasn't getting all the details she only knew that the breachmen were part of the plan that misled andre later into thinking the breachmen were going to cause something instead of be the victim of the crime but you know, she was having to work with these crazy doctors and deal with the fact that she was getting skin grafts with with very little uh, to, to dull the pain. So uh, she did the absolute best I think any person could. The interesting stuff that I that I want to talk about is the Icy Bob connection. Yes. What, what did you guys get out of that? I was so surprised. I think we had been assuming that maybe there's some kind of part of this process that took over his brain, right? That made him like um, an unwilling soldier of theirs. But to see and witness and experience this humanity um, where he's kind of helping coach her through the trauma of her experience that they're going through and, you know, not ratting her out for not taking the medication. I thought that that I wrote down opportunity (laughs) so um i don't know i think we have i'm crossing my fingers that we have a friend in the making but he seemed way too composed and normal for me to keep that original theory in mind of course josie would be the one to make friends with icy bob is my thing like that's what i was (laughs) expecting i was like oh josie um and uh she's gonna be icy josie yeah, yes. I see Josie. They're going to be a tag team. It, it kind of turned the tables on like what they do to I see Bob. And like, he's not just a blob, you know, like he, he, he or like a machine that's controlled. Like he is being controlled because of whatever they did to him. And obviously he needs them. And I guess the way they control him is maybe by keeping him in a constant pain. Cause like he wanted those painkillers. So it just like raised a question for me of why does he need that? You know, like it, it seemed like he's this big, tough guy. Obviously they created him, um, for the cold but it seems like it's not very pleasant and so maybe that's how they kind of control that if they can't control his mind you know like how we initially thought he was just sort of like or i thought he was just like sort of you know whatever they did to him kind of crushed that part of him you know like maybe he didn't know what he was doing but he knows everything and he's had to make his own survival techniques to get through it and then helping Josie like that was a big thing so I wonder how that's going to play out later if it's going to play out this season or next season so I like that development very much (laughs) well the motivation for him to behave or do whatever they say now seems to be driven by some kind of fear how he's like you don't want across them or whatever it was that he said to imply like do what they say because bad things happen to those that don't so that motivation for just being the big alice badass the i guess that'd be the baba in my uh (laughs) 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 the acronyms (laughs) that i keep on my notes i Uh, love that so much (laughs) like can we please talk about baba (laughs) it's it's really coming from a place of fear rather you know it might have started in some other place like we mentioned maybe it was a rehabilitative uh, need earlier in his life 
Uh, and it turned into the to this, well, it turns out the bomb is, uh, he can survive the cold better than anybody else. And so they just kept going. Yeah, because his face looks torn apart, right? And Yeah, right. Um, and, and so I guess the question is, where does that leave Josie? Are we assuming they're going to just patch her back up to hell, like in good health and then give her back and be like, okay, like we just did this. Or does that mean that is she going to get the icy Bob or icy Josie treatment as well? if Bob needs them because he does these deeds for them, because obviously we don't know what that is fear motivation, you know, or whatever, or the painkillers, are they going to make that the same thing with Josie where she's going to need them? So she basically has to be there or it's just going to be so painful. But I feel like if that happens, she would probably just kill herself or, you know, like, I don't know. She, she wouldn't, obviously we've learned that she's willing to go to the, (laughs) the, the, the ends if she has her mind intact, um, for the tailies and for this, for Snowpiercer. So maybe that's not an option, but, um, yeah, it just seems like, what are they going to do with Josie is my question. What do you guys think? Right. Yeah. Good point. Because why else would Bob be such a willing participant to continue with their experiments, right? There are not a lot of options for him on Big Alice. So, uh, you know, I, I imagine that with how much Wilford is so controlling of everybody's environment, he probably has very specific, you know, circumstances for Bob uh, on an agreement, uh, you know, on how he needs to behave when he's supporting Big Alice and the goals he needs to do because maybe he will withdraw care, long-term care. Like just, I think you're right onto something that there might be some kind of chemical dependency in order for him and Josie to maintain surviving in the physical state that they're in. I am curious though, like no lie to kind of like see Josie become like some unintentional, some engineered superhero from this because she's so like badass and fearless. Like I can't imagine that she would just like comply and listen, like she's going to figure shit out and she's going to take somebody down with her when she does. I am very impressed with how she's been able to participate in this network of, you know, getting a message across and which is kind of curious as to how you guys think she was able to acquire allies within Big Alice to help with like the first leg of relaying the message and stuff across. Good question. I mean, we see that she does work with Amelia, but there's not really like a solid connection about how that was done. I guess maybe we can assume that Amelia has her own reasons or more like she wants to connect with Snowpiercer just just in general. The the other last Aussie is still over there and maybe that's all she needs to want to keep that door open between trains and the only way that she can do that is if relations are, are equalized between the trains instead of being like two separate countries with the little visa stamps <laughs> between uh, entry points there. I'm not sure. You guys have any ideas how she would have solidified that other than someone like Amelia and the rest of that chain kind of taking the initiative to, to make that connection? I guess not. <laughs> no uh i'll 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 kind of so i was so when i noticed that and i was just kind of like that's so impressive for somebody who's going through so much like physical hardship and can barely scooch over to the laundry thing just to like write and put the message in there just shows how resilient josie is but yeah how did she build this network on that end based off of somebody that might have like a crush on the other aussie like could it really be just that like simple of a connection um, all the way through 
at least for this first leg. So I'll, that's, I didn't really like develop any kind of theories other than that kind of very superficial view of it. So, so I was curious. Yeah. I think it's, I think it like in the first season, remember how we wondered how it was that there was any kind of information traded between the tail and anywhere else. And then we eventually learned a, that Osweiler was getting blowjobs for uh, some transfer of different contraband. And then B, we learned that they selected some tailies to do the most menial tasks possible. So it, they eventually explained not exactly how the network was set up, but how that there could be some transfer of information in people. So maybe we'll get a little bit more later. Um, right. maybe it's also happening, like not just as Josie, but it's also a message being sent through on the Wil- pro Wilford side in that same transaction. So it's just like so interesting that we've got the Josie message coming through warning about something happening. And then we've got the Wilford message that's coming through and then somehow they're connecting with these like Wilford knights, um, on the train at- simultaneously and, and it just seems like such a small area that it's just it's really seems easy. <laughs> Maybe. Do you think that um, Wilford knows? Because I know, I don't know who is right hand. He has like that officer lady. Um, I don't Sykes. know. Yeah. Um, and she gave him a message like, oh, basically like it's in motion. And I was wondering if, if it was like he knew that Josie was giving secrets away or if it, that was like the plan that they were doing, you know, like that they end up doing with the breachment and stuff so i was curious to know like did he expect that to happen with josie um like there was going to be some sort of trade and is he wanting to use that too you know like i don't i don't know maybe it's separate and he doesn't know but i was just wondering if he did know and is using that to his advantage that is curious i mean on the one hand he would have had to have been the one to instigate the idea of bringing josie on board for treatment slash being a hostage thus creating his own problem but he had sped up the time frame for needing icy bob to be capable of doing whatever it is that he's going to do outside the train for a long period of time mm-hmm. before bringing josie on board for treatment yeah um but on the other hand he has a bunch of assassins on board snowpiercer not just like one guy in a hood it was several folks in hoods going and doing all that stuff at least that's the way i read it it was a simultaneous attack so that there couldn't be like any kind of response so interesting um do you guys think we know any of the attackers i wonder if it's going to be like one of those tv things where it's not going to make sense but just like they're doing it for the tv show but i hope not like i hope they're all earned and like it will make sense like obviously there's the obvious ones like like LJ, but like, she's not part of the assassin. I think she's just, you know, obviously psycho, um, <laughs> but like, you know, like those would make sense. Right. Like yeah. but the ones like, we don't know who they are. Like, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's going to be any of like first season people or like even part of like the little group. Cause I would need to know, I would, I would have to go back and see if there's any like, like, you know, like those little cracks where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And it ties together. Cause if it doesn't, I'm not going to like that. You know, if it's not like, yeah. if yeah. it's for the, the spectacle of it. Yeah. My, one of my guesses might be like, maybe there were some jackboot survivors, you know, from, you know, when Melanie separated them out from the cart when she killed off first class yeah i wonder like just like lj was left behind from first class what if there were just like 
of some of those jackboot people that were left in the first class and taking advantage of the fact that they, they might think that they are dead uh, and they're just kind of blending for survival and then will for th- those are that that's kind of like person is kind of somebody that would suggest maybe they'd be all about keeping up Wilford's, you know, doing this kind of stuff in this extreme environment for Wilford's in the name of Wilford. Um, But that's my theory. (laughs) That's a solid one. I mean, I've made a list of all the different characters, the main characters, and they're all pretty much accounted for. So in terms of like it being a main character turning on the train, it's not any of them, (laughs) you know? So that does leave us with minor characters that we have kind of forgotten about and then probably another series of people who we don't have met i think there's got to be at least one familiar face you know if they were gonna round them all up scooby-doo style and then like pull their hoods back (laughs) there's got to be at least one well we saw the first class um some of the first class individuals kind of giving like the stink face when the kids were like presenting their like melanie flag kind of stuff you know they were kind of like stink facing it in the beginning yeah and and don't you know they see they obviously don't seem particularly pleased of the changes either and jack boots were closely tied to them Maybe that could be the familiar kind of connection to the unfamiliar faces of the hidden jackboots, assuming, right, that that's my that's how my theory plays out. Well, and there was the uh, statement made earlier about the lantern being visible to Big Alice is signaling something about about the attack or being ready or something. That was that was Sykes message to Mr. Uh, Wilford during the book club that there was the friend up train that signaled that they were a go using a lantern. Um, Mm -hmm. If you recall, Miles did the same thing with the tail, but he was all the way in the engine because that might be how far ahead in the train you have to be to see uh, a lantern when they go around curves. So perhaps that makes a lot of sense about first class because that would be pretty close (laughs) to the engine so that when they went around curves, that Big A or Big Alice could see it. So I like that idea, Inez, that they centered on that that woman who said something about the rehabilitation of Melanie Cavill's reputation for a couple of shots, and they even let her talk. Right. And I couldn't remember if I had seen her before, but she seemed familiar. Yeah, I feel like I have seen her, you know, in audiences before from like first class audience. I, I'll have to go back and, and watch, but she did seem familiar to me. And I think that's why I paid attention because I was like, oh man, I forgot that there might still be some first class people on the train. I thought that they all were like gone now. No, there was just like LJ's parents and maybe a couple more that wanted to make kind of a, a show of... Uh, Andre signing his his defeat, his conceding the war or whatever. Um, But it wasn't all of them. It was just the Folgers and a couple others. So we've covered quite a bit, but we haven't talked about Miss Audrey very much yet. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, she has a little bit to do (laughs) in this episode. First, she she has to uh, handle trying to be a spy and also try to keep herself uh, during contact with Mr. Wilford. She has this idea that she can break him, and she even asks him something to that effect, which reminded me of what Inez talked about last episode, about the idea of switching roles from Mr. Wilford dominant to Miss Audrey dominant, 
And you had mentioned that maybe that was starting to take place during the bizarre sex slash food scene (laughs) (laughs) from from last episode. And she basically spells it out in this episode that she doesn't want to submit this time. But his response, in my mind, indicated that he's completely on to that idea and that that, that he's not going to do that. He's interested in having... Audrey as a as his uh, live in, <laughs> but but in terms of the submissive role, he's 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 fine where things are at. Um, what did you guys read into any of their interactions in this episode? Because I'm not a girl, I'm not going to get all that girl stuff. Yeah, I think for me it felt a little unsettling because I think it was the line that she tells Andre or uh, Zara. I think in the beginning, right? Like, uh, I'm fine, you know? And that always, obviously, like as a girl, I don't I don't know if that's just a girl thing, but I know when I've said, I'm okay, or if I'm fine, that means you're not fine. Um, so <laughs> I picked that up right away of like, I'm hoping she is in control, but it seems with this episode, like in the last episode, it was like, oh, maybe she is able to handle it. And she, you know, um, you know, like Inez was saying, like she wants, she's a dominant one and all that kind of thing. But this one, there was the cracks that were showing, like her saying, she's fine when clearly she seems like she's barely holding on and she doesn't want to give off that she's not fine to you know Andre and saying like Andre's like stupid question like oh we're asking a lot are you okay it's like of course it's not okay you know like you're making her go back into this horrible situation and she's just doing it because she cares about the train and wants to do it for herself too but when she's with Wilfred in the in Big Alice I just saw so many cracks of like I'm not so sure she has it under control or she's able to I feel like she's kind of slipping into maybe whatever their old habits were. And also it seems like she said, oh, he'll never willingly force me to be there. But it seemed like he kind of did at the very end, you know, because she knew she had to play his game if she stays you know, maybe that she, like she can be a better spy, but it's like, it wasn't really a choice. And I feel like if she had it under control, she would have left or something. I don't know. Like what she, I'm hoping she's just playing it for the good of Snowpiercer and like as a spy, but right now I'm not sure it's going good for Miss Audrey. <laughs> I am uh, at a point here where I definitely could see her struggling with trying to stay confident because she is a victim of PTSD, you know, so it was a very intense situation that she had to survive through him. And we got a little glimpse of the kind of influence that she can have on him. But of course that, you know, he's at the end of the day, they're still both human. She doesn't have like a superpower voodoo thing, right? It's still all based off of their consent and he's not consenting to relinquish control right now. So uh, I think that she's trying as best as she can to survive in this situation, my guess right now is that she has stayed behind on Big Alice simply because she did not fulfill her mission. And I think she has a lot of drive of trying to prove people on Snowpiercer that she isn't this vulnerable, broken person, but she has no way of telling them that. She has no way of telling them, I have not been able to successfully open up the communication channel. She can't say that she, when she's like right there next to him as he's screaming across their border. So my guess is she's staying behind so that she can finish the job. I I think we had a lot of conversations between her and other people where they kept reminding her about what happened before, what happened before. And I'm having faith in her that this is her trying to not be the I told you so of this story. I think they left it ambiguous at the end that she could be staying because... 
if Snowpiercer is where the attacks are taking place, and the Night Guard came out pretty bad in the last series of attacks, then Big Alice would be a safer place. But I'm with you guys in thinking that's just, you know, manipulative storytelling. I also believe that even though Mr. Wilford is onto her, she doesn't know that or possibly onto her regarding the, the partially unscrewed screw. I believe that she went back to finish her job, putting herself in quite a bit more danger in, in doing so. Do you guys think that when he noticed the screw that he automatically associated that with Audrey or left his mind open for some other conclusion? I think he knew it was Audrey right away because I think it's hard. Sometimes I lose the sight of like it's a TV show and we think, you know, all these sort of things. And like he is like maniacal and manipulative. And we have to assume that he, if not one step ahead at least one step like like in par with um whatever like when when melanie was calling the shots you know like or like doing what she did in the first few episodes like he's close there right so like i think he he knew and then i think maybe not necessarily her but i feel like he kind of knew that they had sent her in and then i think that might have changed a little bit of what he's going to use her with or maybe he kind of knew it all along and um I don't think he just thinks that she like loves him so much that he she went to spend time with him for no reason. Um, mm, so you, and, so he saw it coming a little bit. I feel like he had to. Like I mean, it's been seven years, and it's not just like let's pick up where we right where we left off. Like there's a lot of baggage that we still don't know what he's been through on Big Alice and what he's done with the with the people. And I feel like it's just too easy to kind of think that he he's going to be naive with Miss Miss Audrey if if that makes sense. He still seems to want to make his case though. With the what he was telling her about, you know, that they were only half of themselves until they were reunited and the electricity felt and all that kind of stuff. So it does seem like if he can change her mind intellectually and emotionally, that's what he'd prefer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I think he'll he'll resort to anything that he has to in order yeah, in order yeah. to get there. Yeah, I, th- I feel like he's still living in some level of um, delusion, thinking that him being together with her is like the end all be all. And that I-, I feel like he does think that they're like totally cool. I mean, just like remember how cringy that scene was when he- she was like talking to confronting him about her, you know, that she he tried to get her to kill himself. And then he's like, yeah, but I saved you. Like, like that's just makes it okay that, you know, he tormented her enough to, for her to like do that very traumatic experience of feeling herself go and then come back. Like, that's not a small thing. And I think that like, when you take that kind of brain into the scenario, I feel like you can't just assume that he's like, just super aware. He just feels sloppy enough and not like a hundred percent accurate on his assumptions of stuff. And I don't know, I feel like he's kind of a mess, but I do think that he is intuitive. I feel like Audrey is in danger now. I feel like he may not make the connection right now, but I feel like maybe he's probably stored the possibility that it was her because if she was right there and a lot of her message kind of like trying to guide the conversation to, you know, to be kind of an ideal state relationship that she wants it to be. Right. And he's kind of like loosely paying attention and just kind of in this like blissful moment. But he pay, he makes a point to stare at that, touch it, look back toward where she is. I think that it's incepted. 
Um, <laughs> but he's still kind of a mess. All right, guys. Well, we are up to a pretty good amount of time on this one, but I want to hit predictions. All I've got for predictions, and this is maybe another easy softball, but I think Bob might come into play soon for whatever the the big attack is going to be. Or, or do you think we are going to flip over to see Melanie? Because she's been gone for a couple of weeks now, and we actually haven't heard from her. Uh, officially this episode because of the missing ping do you already th- so do you think we flip over to melanie's story what do you guys think i think they absolutely need to give us melanie's story since that cliffhanger that they left us there where like she hasn't made contact and we have no reason to think that she's alive like um hello you better go <laughs> pick her up right now i i hope it's a, a melanie centric episode or at least we get glimpses of what she's up to mixed in with you know the stuff that we learned today but or in this episode sorry um so yeah i i don't really i don't know if i have predictions it was this episode was so <laughs> like you said twisty that i just want to enjoy the next one and see what happens <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we need we need to settle our nerves a little. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> good luck with watching Melanie out there in the middle of the ice world. I'm sure that'll calm our nerves. Yeah, they just dropped her off in Texas. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we've already had we've already uh, experienced what Melanie's experiencing. <laughs> I believe so. I think we came right there to the Snowpiercer world this past week. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that you both are okay, and I'm glad that you can have a sense of humor about it, despite everything it's gone through. But yeah, let's let's see what happens. All right. Well, that has been our coverage for Snowpiercer number five of the second season. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.